Hey guys, this is Roxy Brown, and you are listening to the Blonde Ambition Podcast, episode five. And today we're going to talk about protecting Picasso. So I am with Chris Almonrode, who is the corporate security manager for Heritage Auctions. And we are going to talk today about some of the ways Chris does security. I do security, but we do it in a little bit different way. Uh, we do physical security at Tangent Group and and one-on-one personal security. But Chris has a really cool, different take on how security goes. So, right. Chris, tell me about Heritage and about what it is you guys do as a business. So, Heritage Auctions is based in Dallas, Texas. Um, they've been in business since 1976, uh, the largest auction house uh, founded in the United States. We have over 40 auction categories. Um, we're considered the third largest auction house in the world. Um, and so in within those 40 auction categories, there's some highlights like coins, vintage coins, world coins, currency. Um, on the luxury side, you have handbags and jewelry, which my favorite. Lady, yeah, your favorite. <laughs> uh, my favorite is watches. Um, sports memorabilia is really uh, trending really well for the company. Movie posters and Americana political, I mean, uh, space exploration, just many, many different categories. And um, all of our auctions are online at ha.com. And um, it's a very vibrant website where you can look at all kinds of stuff. And um, it's a really, really interesting environment from a security perspective. So you guys, you're headquartered here in Dallas, but you have a lot of different offices. Yes, we do. We have offices in New York, Chicago, and then uh, we have offices in Dallas, uh, along with a gallery in Dallas in the design district. And then on the West Coast, we have a uh, Mm -hmm. location in Beverly Hills in San Francisco, and then our international offices, which are a new one in London, England, and then also in Hong Kong. So totally different security setups for everything. (laughs) Well, we try to create continuity between, that's my biggest challenge, is create continuity between especially our American offices and make sure that if an employee travels from Dallas to New York, the the security protocols and procedures and the manner of getting in and out is all the same. But um, there, there are different markets that cater to different things, but you can pretty much go talk to an expert at any one of them at any time if you have uh, something you'd like to come show us. So you guys take on consignment? Yes. Okay. Um, so we have a, a cache of over, a, I believe, or probably about 100 consignment directors in various different um, capacities within our company that are meeting with clients. Um, that have huge collections of, of different things. Um, so you have someone who may specialize in firearms. You may have a, a particular person who specializes in coin. We have several people who specialize in coins, a wonderful group that handles world coins. Um, and they go out and they meet with uh, these collectors and people, you know, they have a an attachment to their collection, right? So They think it's, it's really the best. And, in, and a lot of times that it is, and we have a great group that goes out and woos them to come to Heritage. We think we are the best in the business and bring them on board with us. And uh, we photograph it, catalog it, promote it. And then we, we think that we can get them the best price uh, for their, their piece of collection. And, and that way we both walk away happy. So, so I met Chris 
sort of roundabout, some of the agents that work with Tangent have also worked with Chris um, at Heritage. So one of the things that I think is really cool is that there's a lot of security people who secure a location or who secure a principal, a person. But the thing that I learned about Heritage is, is that a lot of times before they have an actual auction, they will actually sort of send some of these things around so that people can see them in person to right. different cities. Those are called uh, previews. Okay. And um, anytime we do a preview, you know, there's a, there's a lot of behind the scenes work that we go into that. Um, and, you know, we, we take the the signature lots that people would like to see and we take them around to the different offices. So we may do a preview in Beverly Hills, then that crew and, and that merchandise will then go to New York and then that crew and merchandise will then go back to Dallas. Depending on the type of items, uh, sometimes you can't hit all locations and some locations are not conducive to that particular item. But and right. then, but if you're gonna spend, you know, and we talked about handbags, like Hermes handbags. We sold an Hermes for, I think it was $220,000. Oh, what color was it? Yeah, I think it was the uh, Birkin Crocodile no. with the gold and platinum. No. And um, I only know this because it was very, very popular. It was very, very difficult for our teams to photograph the right way and make sure the colors came out the right way. But um, if you're going to spend that kind of money on that type of handbag, you're gonna to want to look at it first. Right. And so uh, that's the, the purpose behind the previews is to l let people get uh, in touch with the items before they purchase. So I think it's really cool from a security standpoint that Chris, you deal on a daily basis with, you know, having to secure offices and make sure that your, your staff is okay and make sure that, you know, all the things that I think every company deals with as far as making sure that the workplace is a safe place to work. But then you've got items that are traveling. So you've got those kinds of security issues. What do you think in your line of work is the biggest challenge that you guys face security wise? You know, the, there are many um, but our company focuses a lot on uh, situational awareness and training with our employees. Um, Heritage hires some of the most talented people in the world and we like to keep them. And when we bring those individuals in, everybody from the person that uh, cleans the building all the way to our shippers and our consignment directors, everybody has gone through a vetting process and then they all go through annual training and retraining on um, how to properly handle uh, precious objects and collectibles to um, situational awareness, what to watch out for, paying attention to all those things. And in the security business, we, we, we use the word situational awareness all the time and a lot of the lay person doesn't understand what we're really talking about. They're like, right. oh, just look out for suspicious activity. Well, what's suspicious to me um, a lot of people would not think is very suspicious and I'd have to articulate that. Would not you know? see it. They yeah. would not see it. We, we're, we're really good in the security business of looking for the anomaly in the room. And so I spend a lot of time educating our teams and all of our offices and stuff to look for the anomaly, to look for something that stands out. And, and a lot of the times it's just, you know, that gut, it goes back to your gut feeling, all right? You have a feeling that something isn't right. right. And over time you begin to rationalize it uh, based on your background and your history and, and things of that nature on why why isn't why does this stand out to me and um, so we do a really good I think I'm the one who teaches the classes so I'm sounding <laughs> a little bit World class. egotistical but 
Um, I've been teaching a lot uh, for years, and so I try to take real-world things that are going out in the world today, right? and then I craft our training sessions based on what's going on currently. So, like today, I, I brought the, the Jeweler Security Alliance 2016 Annual Crime Report, Okay. and I literally read this, and I look at what are the trends that are causing a problem within the jewelry industry. Okay. Um, why do I do that? Because I have staff that's going out to show jewelry at a show, and it's important for me to know where the hot spots are, uh, what things I can uh, tell them uh, to, to keep themselves maybe. safe. Okay. And so, um, whatever it whatever it is, whatever piece of collection it is, whether it be a movie poster or a handbag or in this case jewelry, each one of them, there's a certain threat that rises to the top. So we know that wine is stolen most of the time at a person's residence Interesting. or in transit, Okay. right? Um, if we're having a wine auction, our wine isn't at the wine auction. I don't have to worry about it being stolen there, but that's why we have to make sure that when it, whenever we transport or things are in transit, right. we need to make sure we do certain things a, a certain way. Same way with uh, Hermes handbags, we were real big into that. I just um, want to note that Chris has never invited me in person to see these because he's nervous <laughs> that I'll just mosey on out with one. Yeah, they are. It's a. I, I didn't know anything about these handbags when I first started, and and then now um, some of the staff has me actually posing with the handbag. When I go to New York, they have me hold these bags, and then they tag me on these Instagram. Naturally. Uh, yeah, it's yes. like uh, boys with bags. And, you know, I'm a country boy from Texas, and I'm holding these. The these, things uh, we do for work. You know, the the group that runs that that particular division, you know, when you're in the security business, you have to have relationships with a, a dynamic group of people. Yes. And you have to woo them to compliance to your corporate policies, your corporate yes. procedures, we, and uh, let them know that you're there for them to take care of them. So uh, I don't mind holding a bag if that breaks down the walls <laughs> of communication. Right? Sure. We just talked about that uh, a few minutes ago that that it's really different for us because Chris you came from the police so you came yes. from the government sector right. and now you're in the private sector and it's so different so many people don't realize because in the private sector even for you as a security head of security you're still still dealing with individuals who don't think about security on a daily basis like their mind probably doesn't work that way and you can't dictate so much as you have to make them aware and, and get them to work with you on the civilian side. Right, you really have to sell it to people. And um, I spend a lot of time, like I, I used this term earlier before we turned the mic on where I said I nerd out, right? <laughs> so I nerd out on security uh, topics and I always try to look for creative ways to explain it. So I'll give you an example. Um, here in North Texas, we're about to enter, or we are in severe weather season. Now that runs uh, basically mid-March to mid-May. And according to a lot of surveys, the number one threat to property in the North Texas area is severe weather. So when I have warehouses full of paintings and, right. and canvases and, and you just name it, um, and I have employees traveling back and forth, that uh, severe weather is very, very important. So take you back to, I believe it was in the, the 90s where the Cash America building was uh, in downtown Fort Worth was hit by a tornado. Just so happened the FBI offices were located in that building and they kept all their files 
uh, on top of their desk, right? Oh, wow. So when the windows blow out, all the FBI files are, th- are strewn across the city of Fort Worth, and it created a problem. So I try to use these stories. We, we're in a glass building, and I try to explain that this is there's a reason why that business records need to be secured in a certain area. Right. Because yeah, as we enter severe weather season, we want to make sure that we are protecting everything, including our business records to our collections and how we store everything, making sure doors are shut at, at the end of the day. Not, no one can get in our areas because we have so many layers of security, but we have, you know, when you have glass, you just want to make sure that things aren't blowing out the window. Right, you know? no, yeah, so, confidential um, records. But to get back to your point is you have to sell it to them, right? right. You have to use stories and woo people to compliance and then... Um, I rarely have to get to a point where I have to put on the old uh, police detective the hat, hat or the, set, the sergeant <laughs> hat and, and have to, you know, write them up or give them a reprimand that it could affect them in some profound way or whatever. But So what do you think? Because I think you have a really good insight and there's not only for females, but for males, there's a lot of concern. And I know for me personally, traveling, are there any tips? Because you, you probably know these as far as what is, the, what is the best thing that you would tell someone who is traveling with you know, their own valuables? How do you guys keep aware of that as you're moving things around the country? Well, I would, uh, you know, I, I promised my, uh, my team that I, that I wouldn't disclose some of our, uh, our secrets. Your but trade secrets. Our trade secrets. <laughs> but I can say that we do get pretty creative on, on how we secure things. And it, when, uh, you know, our, our employees uh, rarely travel with, with anything unless it's just something that we have to get back. And we usually have someone that, that escorts them. Right. But most things are done through a, a different way. But for people that, that travel and they want to carry expensive watches and jewelry right. and things like that, there's a, there's a myriad of things. You know, I'm not real big on hotel safes, uh, especially in-room safes that can be compromised really easy. Uh, I'm a proponent of how to, I actually made a video for our team before on how you can uh, use the vents and different things within hotel rooms and the throw pillows and how you can unzip them and the secret compartments that are inside and how to, you know, I'm a guy who travels with duct tape because uh, you can duct tape things underneath, um, underneath when you pull the drawers out of a, um, of a dresser you can duct tape things underneath there. What is in Chris's bag? Yeah, I know. This is so crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, there's ways to, to, you know, if you're concerned about protecting yourself and you can't travel with a weapon, um, there are easy things you can do where you can uh, take pocket change and other things and put it in your socks and then make a, uh, you can make a weapon out of that. There are uh, a myriad of really interesting things that you can do fairly cheap uh, to secure your collections. Um, chapstick, um, I have a chapstick holder and I have a tennis ball and both of them are hollowed out. Okay. And I stick money in there and I always carry, if I'm in like certain parts of Chicago or if I'm in um, uh, certain parts of, you know, we're in Midtown Manhattan in New York, but I always have uh, extra money that in case I get robbed, I can just give them that when really my real money is in my chapstick container. Got it. Um, belly bands, there's another good one that you can just wrap underneath your clothing and you can secure things that way. Um, and then there's, you know, when you get into the international world, um, there's a lot of other things that you need to do, but it's based on the environment that you're going into. Right. Um, and we're, we're members of a group called OSAC, which is, um, it's basically takes start State Department intel 
and corporate security intel, and it merges those two together, and companies can subscribe to that okay. and get country reports about what's going on at the at you know minor at, at lower levels, like what we call more granular information. So, is there current scams being run at the subway leaving from the airport? And it'll it'll tell you how those scams are being done, so that when you get off the airplane you know what to watch out for. You're a little bit more prepared. Yeah, you can Got see it. the anomaly that we talked about. Got it. So one of the things that I think is really interesting, and for a lot of you guys uh, who listen to my podcast and I know who are on my LinkedIn, uh, I work with a lot of military and police and, and former government, and so many of you are trying to break out of that and break into the civilian sector. And I know that Chris is a really prime example because he was former PD and now he's in the private sector. And that is a transition that I'm sure was difficult but that you've made really well. So what do you think is key for making that transition into private security? Um, learning the term business acumen uh, and, and everything that that entails. Um, when we leave law enforcement or the um, the military service, we have a certain ego and persona that it's hard to shake. Um, we tend to be the alpha male in the room and we all know um, what that looks like. Right. It's hard to shake. When I was a police sergeant, there's a certain arrogance and ego that I had. I may still have it, but I think that I've maybe offset it with some of my business acumen. And it's a, it's a turnoff to some businesses and you got to be able to balance that. So, um, I would say that, especially for someone who's been in the business for more than 12, 15, 18 years in that range there, that if you are ever looking to go to the private sector, start now first looking for roles within the department that you can get additional training um, in private sector issues. So if you're like in a big city like Dallas or Detroit or LA, try to get on a white collar crime task force. Uh, try to get on some type of fraud task force. Look into um, certifications that your department may pay for. Okay. Or maybe you pay for those uh, certifications or memberships so that when you, um, as you begin this transition, you can say, well, I served on the white collar crime task force for the past five years. I attended the annual convention. And then at those conventions, you network with people so that you're right. planting seeds so that when you... Uh, you begin to retire out, uh, or you you know that this particular financial firm um, has an opening coming up, you've been networking with them, and then you can just transition right over. So um, the worst thing you can do is just assume because you did X, Y, and Z in the police department is that now you're just going to get out and become this, you know, corporate executives. And it, it doesn't work that way. You have to know your business acumen, you have to look at certifications that are honored in the private sector. Um, I have some that I'm partial to, um, like as is international programs like the CPP, the PSP, and, and uh, of those certifications, they will really benefit you in the private sector. And, and then you have the balance of both. So right. you're, you're really marketable when you come out. Let's ask you this then. If someone is trying to break into the private sector and maybe they realize that they're not going to go straight into management. What is something that you, as a, you know, more of a corporate and a higher level security, what are things that people can do to catch your eye as far as who you would hire for security? 
Wow, that's a really good question. You know, I um, I like uh, professional problem solvers. I mean, I am a I, I love uh, management management strategy. So I, I think I'm pretty good at hiring people and vetting people. So uh, I look for people who didn't just take what uh, what uh, training that they were given at whatever job they had, but they were right. there. They have a pathway of what where they're wanting to go. So they said, you know. Um, you know, it takes like, I think it's seven years and a bachelor's degree uh, or nine years and a bachelor's degree to get your CPP certification plus pass the test, you know, and if that was in there, like, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to try to get my CPP or, you know, I'm going to, uh, get this certification from the state. And then I, I got this certification through, uh, like the national incident management Institute for on emergency management that they're that there's a pathway, that they're doing something. Um, I didn't go back to school till I was 35 years old. I didn't go to graduate school till I was 38. So when I see people that that take the initiative, no matter what age or grade they're at in their life, that right. they continue to, they want to keep moving forward, right. those are the people I tend to gravitate to because I think you always got to have someone ready that's going to be your replacement. Right. And that's kind of how I look you know, to, to get people because it makes my life easier. <laughs> yeah. You know, Chris hit on something. I don't think this is unique to security. I think this is business. When we are in upper level management or owners of business and we're looking to hire someone, we realize, most of us realize that, that you guys, those people have the power to really make us look really good or really bad, you know, and it would never be someone's intention to hire someone and then have them in turn look bad right. you know so if you can come in it's so funny that chris that you're saying this because a couple of weeks ago i had a podcast on and it was uh sarah and she's trying to break into a new industry and i told them without having talked to you about it almost the exact same thing which is that you have to really show effort and initiative right. not just like you know i got my t you know certification and and because this is my job required it but because you know on the weekends i went out and did more training and i got these certificates and those kinds of things really show how much you're trying and are really impressive to people. That you you have to put action behind your words. Right. And um, a good hiring manager will ask you that. Go, what what have you done uh, to get yourself to the next step? And what do you plan on doing next? Right. And uh, you've got to be able to articulate that. And it, and it's good. It's really healthy to just sit down. And I, I even do it um, at at my workplace now, where at the uh, beginning of every year, I look at what we did last year, Okay. what we did great. And I say we, because I have a team that works with me that I lead and guide, but there are things that, that I need to improve on. And I have to humble myself and, and, and script out, literally take a day where I just go, here's where we're doing really good. Here's the things that I need to shore up on. Here's some things that we need to now prepare the company for. Right. And, um, I, you know, I used the term nerd out earlier, and that's just because I, I read what's going on with these different industries, and I want to make sure that we're ahead of whatever threat's coming, we're ahead of whatever risk we have, and, um, you know, you can't, you can't fix what you can't measure is another right. one of my mantras. So I always try to put measurement tools in place so that we can see where things are trending and then we can put a mitigation strategy behind it and try to try to get ahead of it before something happens. Right. Yeah. You know, I just attended a seminar on uh, 
on workplace violence. And that was a thing that you can't predict people's behavior, but you can certainly arm yourself with knowledge to try and prevent, exactly. you know, bad behavior. So yeah, that, and that is a, well, that's just a huge topic uh, for all of us in these times now, right? With uh, everything that's going on in the world and um, uh, workplace violence is always at the forefront because uh, all of us are mandated under OSHA to have some type of mitigation strategy uh, to uh, make sure we're protecting our employees. And um, let me no. ask you this, how has, I don't, certainly you're not going to want to say what exactly it is your plan is, but in recent developments, because of, you know, there's been more issues of workplace violence and actually just here in Dallas, Chris and I are in Dallas, just here in Dallas yesterday, two days ago, Tuesday, there was an apartment manager downtown who an ex security guard who had been let go came back in to a really nice high rise and the uh, apartment manager was in there and he went in and he asked her for his job back and she said no and he literally took out a weapon and shot right. and killed her so with all the crazy you know craziness that's going on have your have your thoughts or plans changed at all as far as going forward for, for your workplace it, specifically we were pretty solid in that in that realm but I will tell you that the incident you brought up I received yeah. a text message about it as it was happening right because one of the things that that I do to nerd out on everything I do is to stay connected to what's going on all around our environments so I received a message about this particular incident it was literally down the street from our offices how scary they said that the shooter was uh, that was on the loose. We alerted the building security team uh, as yeah, because well. Because the shooter was at large for three or four hours. Exactly. And so uh, we sent uh, the information out to everybody and made sure that everybody was paying attention and was on alert. And then, of course, like the, you know, it came back that it was a former security guard, right? So right. Um, this uh, workplace violence affects all of us. And I took the information and based on what the news was releasing, and then I forwarded it and said so this is, serves as a reminder to our HR teams, to our receptionists on when we terminate someone and they return to the workplace, we need to be at a higher level and you know, then we go through our, our strategies of what we do. Right. But it's important that we, we pay attention to that. And uh, it, you know, it's unfortunate that it happened, but one of the things that we do a lot, and I, I hope that everybody will uh, take this as a great tidbit, is use real world experiences, especially when they happen right in near your, your office, right in your backyard, and use that as this is the reason why we don't let people piggyback through the doors. This right. is the reason why, you know, when uh, you have an employee that you're going to let go, that you don't allow them to continue to work, you know, and for to the, come back in, and then and to come back in. This is why you remove acts. I mean, um, you just you set a standard and you make sure that the standards are being applied, and then you use these real-world experiences on on um, how to handle things, because if you don't handle it the way, what can happen? And it was unfortunate what happened there in Dallas, but um, I'm hoping that we can all use it as a, as a learning tool for a, for a lot of us. Right, so you're talking about, I think that's really good for people, not even people in security, but just people in general to sort of stay connected to their communities and kind of know what's going on around us, but, for, people, for those of us in security, it sometimes is a little bit strange because if we do our job right, nothing happens. And so then you have clients or individuals or you know people that are in your building that you're responsible for that are working there can think like, 
well, I've been here for five years and nothing has happened. And so some of the ways that we sort of mitigate that is we do run reports for our clients. And like Chris just said, he's saying like, you know, nothing maybe happened at our office, but here are just a few blocks away. You know, look at all this myriad of things that happen. How do you have any tips on how even just a normal person could stay connected within their community to keep abreast of like just just for the ladies going to the grocery store? Like how how are we going to know what's been going on in our communities? You know, I I used this term earlier and I'll say it again. uh, Know your mo. And I I have these little uh, mantras that I use, which know your mo. And the other ones, people do what you inspect, not what you expect, and all these little quotes. And whether, you know, you work in a corporate environment like I do and you're protecting massive amounts of locations and people, or it's just your neighborhood and you, you know, you just go back and forth to the grocery store, pick up the kids. You need to know the modus operandi, the MO of what kind of goes on in and around your area. And even how the, when the seasons change, how things change. Um, you know, as a crime prevention officer, when I was uh, in the police department, burglaries went up in the summer. And why did they go up in the summer? Because everybody leave their garage doors open um, because they didn't want it getting too hot out there. So we knew that that would happen. And so in the summer, we'd have to go around and we'd have to put these notices out to get people to shut their garage doors so we could reduce the incidence of burglaries. And that effect eventually affects property values and everything else. And insurance and all kinds of stuff. And all kinds of stuff. So I would just say that wherever you live, um, go and check your city's uh, police department first and see if they have a, a crime mapping system. Okay. Um, and you want to go to the department first because the way these systems work is when a police officer takes the report, he types that report in into his computer in the car. Right. And then it goes through a supervisor, it gets approved or whatever, and then it gets projected out to the public on this interface where you can look at what crimes are occurring in your neighborhood and you can set the filter like you only want to hear about robberies and burglaries or you want to set it to whatever but many many cities have these and so um at a matter of every city we are located in as a company we they have them and i look at them often as a learning tool so you can literally drill down and see what's been going on within one mile of my home in the past three months, and that may be something I need to alert my kids about. It may be something that I just you know can share with my neighbors, and then you can check your Twitter feeds. So get a Twitter account because a lot of police departments and stuff are on Twitter now. Oh, there's so much. There's so when that incident was going on, I got more. I still get more information off of Twitter than I do news reports because you can um, as soon as you get alerted to something, you go to that Twitter page. I have a Twitter um, following for the fire and EMS and police around our locations on Park Avenue in Midtown Manhattan. And immediately when something's going on, I get I get a hit. And Almost then I can time. copy that. I send it on to the staff. So you might want to, you know, there's a demonstration outside of Trump Tower. We might want to change your route. Or if we have a truck coming in to drop things off, it may impact us. Um, there's just a lot of intel that you can get. Um, out off of Twitter, you don't have to post anything, you know, right, just, yeah, it's free. just, just use it on. as a monitoring service, and yeah. uh, it, it works out really, really good. And we, we do that uh, with all of our locations, and anybody can do that. It's an easy tip to do. No, that's really awesome. I've been harping on these guys. I did a personal branding podcast even about checking out Twitter. I'm learning Twitter right now, too. It's really not my shtick, but 
so much news goes on in Twitter and things in real time, just more so than Facebook or anything else. Right. You can you can find out uh, a lot, and then you get people that are on the scene that are giving live tweets about a particular incident, and uh, it's you, you know you you got to kind of filter it, right? You got to understand what you're looking at. And then you have people that'll throw in an advertisement, you know, right in the middle yeah. of that to try to, to which is sad, but um, it is a good piece of information to, to use. And um, I use it a lot just for monitoring. Okay. So before we go, I'll ask you one off the wall question. Oh, great. Yes. You're such a, you're, we're both nerds. We're both nerds. It's okay. <laughs> so what is the, in your opinion, craziest, most outlandish, most fun thing you have seen pass through Heritage? I would say, um, because I was such a fan of Sylvester Stallone, and it, let me don't get me wrong, everything that we I get to see, I get to touch, see, and feel some of the coolest things in the world every single day. But we did Sylvester Stallone's uh, estate. Now he is still alive, obviously. But when we did John Wayne's estate, he was already passed. Okay. And what Sylvester Stallone had said. Um, according to the, the people that I work with, he said that he would like to give commentary over the items and give a living testimony about these items and what they meant to him. How cool. As opposed to him being passed away. And so he, so as you go through the uh, warehouse where we had all this stuff stored at, I'm like, that's that's the uniforms from Copland. That's the bow and arrow from Rambo. That's the 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 cover that Rambo wore when he was in the jungle, that's the bayonet. That's and you had and, his real life yes, signature to it. You, you know that sweat, it was authentic. The sweatsuit that he wore as he climbed the stairs in Rocky and held his hands up. You know, I believe that was shot in Philadelphia. Yeah. And then I'll get to the 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 Super Bowl item of this was a Mead uh, spiral notebook. Okay. That was his first bit when he first began to write the Rocky story was in the Mead notebook and you could flip through the pages and see his handwriting on how he created the characters his thought process. and his whole thought process. And I'm looking at this going, I remember being a kid in the theater yeah. when Sylvester, when, when he won the fight and he's yelling for Adrian and people are standing and clapping and people are crying. And here you're looking at the Mead script you know where he wrote it where he wrote it out in this notebook it was absolutely phenomenal to see it uh, they did a huge auction in Beverly Hills with a great preview he was there and um, for uh, it was great for heritage and as a security practitioner it, it, it's of course it's interesting items that you like you know you don't ever want to be the company that let something happen to so-and-so's estate or you know it's right. a brand thing so a lot of what we do, um, has to do with protecting the brand so that people will continue to come to us. And I'm glad to be a part of it. And um, it's a lot of fun. You guys, I know I have learned so much. I really appreciate it. You have like such a unique, fun spin on it. You get to nerd out and work with all these it's cool good. things. It's good. And I, I want to keep I want to keep doing it. I don't want to interrupt. I get excited about it. I'm, I'm thankful. And I sent, and that's the reason why I came down here is because I sense you're passionate about the things that you do. Yeah. And I am very passionate about keeping people safe, keeping things secure, and continue to be really professional in what we do. And I, I think it's really um, 
leaving law enforcement, you know, you wanted it, you're always protecting people. Right. And you get to be the hero in, in this role. It's not so much, but it's really, really interesting and I really, really enjoy it. So. Well, what I'm going to do, guys, um, if Chris says it's all right, I'm going to put, because I know you love to network with other professionals and business. So when I post this, I'm going to post this on LinkedIn and I'll tag Chris so that you guys can tell him how great he did on his podcast. (laughs) It's my first one. I hope I did. He did great. But I'm going to tag him so that you guys can kind of see. And and I know that you guys learned a lot from this. And I appreciate, Chris, I appreciate you coming out. And uh, we hope you guys enjoy it. And if you have any questions or comments or just, hey, you guys are such badasses, you can leave that in the comments here on LinkedIn and we will read it and we will love you forever. That's okay? awesome. <laughs> and I got to get one shameless plug. Do it. www.ha.com. One of the greatest companies doing some wonderful things. And so come check us out. HA.com, guys. You guys, you can check out jewelry. You can check out art, painting, sculptures. You can see it all and you can see, uh, you can bid on it. You don't have to be in person. You can buy things online. That's right. And don't let the fact that we talked about really expensive things scare you. I peruse their website all the time. And there are really, really beautiful pieces that are also really affordable and you know they're going to be one of a kind and unique. So HA.com, go check it out and let us know what you think. All right, guys, thank you for listening.